0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. We will be looking at 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. And if you're very astute, you may realize that I preached from this passage a couple of months ago. I actually don't expect you to remember that. Uh, But we were looking at hospitality Today, we're going to be looking at the text, I'm not using it as a jump off for the topic of hospitality, but looking at what God's Word has to say for us today. It is God's Word, and let's read it together. First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What would happen if everything just kind of turned upside down? In our world today, in our culture, what if the Supreme Court comes back and they uphold Roe versus, Roe versus Wade and they're killing of babies will continue on in our country we are in the midst of the pride month what if that agenda continues to grow it begins to make its way even more into our school systems Uh, we are put in places in our in where we work where we're supposed to wear the rainbow colors and we have to make decisions and The walls are beginning to close in on us. The pressures from the world begin to strip away all those things that we've gotten used to living in our culture where we're able to move around freely. No concerns about pressures. Everyone is like us. The world is changing. More and more, The world is not like us. In our culture around us, here in America, that is changing. But consider a young lady who hears the gospel for the very first time. She hears that gospel and she is miraculously changed She has accepted Christ as her Savior. She's excited, and she wants to tell people about this wonderful news, what has happened in her life, but she has to be very careful because if she does so, it could mean her death. Her brother, her father, hearing that she has become a Christian would see that she has dishonored the family, and that can't be. So she has to run away from home. She has to leave. She has to get away from the people who have been raising her all this time in her life. And she's having to find, how do I live the next day? That is a story that is happening all around the world. That doesn't have a name on it, but it's there. And interestingly enough, That story could be heard back in the day when 1 Peter was written. When Peter was writing this story, there were Christians. That was the life that they lived. It wasn't just cultural discomfort. It was a matter of life and death. So as we face this culture today, we may find ourselves someday in this place. As that young lady, as many young ladies throughout time, since the gospel has been proclaimed, how are we supposed to live? What are we supposed to do? And that's what First Peter is being written about. So let's turn to chapter one, and we're just going to run into chapter four and verse seven. What are we supposed to do? Well. Chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your hearts for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter doesn't say, get in your shell, go into your bomb shelter, pull yourself away from the culture, hide away, get your prepper gear ready. It's time to go out and and hide in the woods and eat your whatever is in that tub that you get. No. Be hopeful. Prepare your minds for action. It's not a time to hide. It's a time to work. It is a time to move forward. Why? Because you are a holy people. You have the solid rock, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and it is him. It's Jesus who is a rock of offense. He is the cornerstone, and we are called to be his holy people. So here's this action. Okay, let's go. Let's go get ready to fight. And then we come here to chapter 2 and verse 13. And he begins an argument that we continue through to chapter four, and he says, "Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution." Er, what? No, let's get our minds to action. Let's go out there. Let's change this culture. Let's get busy. Let's let's form a voting drive. Let's start a nonprofit that is going to advance. The, the issues that are so important to us as Christians. Let's get to work. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And he goes on and begins to describe how those who are without power, who are not in a position of authority, are supposed to respond to those who do have authority. And we're talking about people who are righteous, submitting to people who are unrighteous? How are we supposed to respond to a government that doesn't have our best interest or even God's best interest in mind? How do we deal with an employer who wants us to do things that uh, aren't necessarily Wrong, but they're putting pressures on us, and then that leads to something where they're wanting us to do something that is wrong. How are we supposed to respond in those situations when all of culture is beginning to strip away what is normal to us? What are we supposed to do in those times, wives with husbands? How are they supposed to respond when she becomes a Christian? And he rejects it. What is the response that is to happen there? That brings us to chapter 4. Look there with me, beginning in verse 1. You see, Jesus has suffered all of these things. He suffered physically. He suffered emotionally. He suffered socially. Arm yourselves when you're getting ready for that action. Think like Jesus thinks. Take his way of thinking. And there's a great hope there. Because when we suffer for him, when we suffer because we're not like everybody else, and we do that because we are seeking to honor him, we have hope that we are believers. If you weren't a believer, you wouldn't be suffering. It's when you make that choice in the hard times, and you make that choice between Jesus and the world, you can have confidence when you say, yes, I must follow Jesus. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You are forgiven you do not have to live a life of sin so as to delight as so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God all of that is done you don't have to worry about succumbing to the influences of the culture around you because it doesn't matter how the culture around you changes There's one thing that never changes, and that's Jesus. That is the call that we have in our hearts to follow him. We follow him when everything is rosy, and we follow him when everything is dark. That is the life we are called to. We're able to put behind all of those things that Jeff was praying about in his prayer this morning. Our anxieties, our fears. Our desires for the comfort of this world. Material things. And then he goes on and mentions sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. That's not an exhaustive list. Your fears, your anxiety, your pride. They belong in this list as well. The time has passed for those things. And don't be surprised that they malign you, that they wonder why you're not doing what they're doing and how they've changed. What's happened to you? Why don't you laugh at the same jokes you used to laugh at? Why don't you go with us and do the things that we always used to do together? There are those who have been in that situation just as you are. They chose to follow Christ. And some of them have died because of it. Our history as a church is full of people to whom the gospel was preached. They followed the gospel and it put them in opposition to this world. And they died. But they were judged by the world in the flesh, and they died, but they live in the Spirit. They live with God. That brings us here to verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. There's a lot packed into that. And as we look at this passage, the way I want us to divide it up, and you'll see it very clearly here, it says... The end of all things are at hand. And then you have a semicolon. So he's getting ready to give us something more. Therefore, and then you'll see a little bit farther down in verse 8, above all, and then finally, there in the middle of verse 11, in order that. So if you want an outline this morning, there you go. (laughs) Therefore, above all, in order that. And we're basically going to take the logic that Peter has given us here and we're going to apply it from God's word to our life with this understanding of the world changing, and it is changing. It is not going to get better. How are we, Subaru Baptist Church, supposed to respond in this time? First of all, we need to realize our time here is short. There's a lot packed into that. What does it mean? The end of all things is at hand. Well, for one thing, it means that all that God has planned will soon be culminated. See, the world thinks they know what's going to happen. They think that they can change our culture. They think that they can set up a religious authority in a country and It will become their utopia. They think they can create the world that they want to create. But it's not going to happen because all things are coming to an end. The culmination of God's plan is about to happen. There is great comfort for us in that. And all the suffering that Christians face will soon be at an end. Behold, all things are at an end. The suffering, all the heartache, even our little pittance of discomfort that we have here in America as Christians, that too is going to end because God's culmination will take place. But it also means this, we have little time. The time is coming. Now it may seem like a long time compared to the years that since Peter has spoken this. But we don't know. God's return is imminent. It will take place. His plan, there's nothing that could keep him from coming for us today. We have little time. We need to act with that in mind. Therefore, since this is the case, what are we supposed to do? Well, it tells us that... We are to turn our desires toward God. Therefore, be self-controlled. Don't go like you read before in chapter um, 4, verse 3, about the things of this world. Going back to those desires. Control those desires. Place them under the gospel Personal growth is necessary if you are to face the struggles and the trials of this world. But that personal growth is not about self-help books. It's not about simple Bible study. Those things are not bad. Matter of fact, they're necessary. But they only work if it's miraculous. The gospel saved us. The gospel sustains us. The faith that we had when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior is the faith that helps us continue to grow in Him. Don't lose sight of that. Don't turn it into your work. Turn it into God's work. Individual growth, personal growth, is necessary in our lives, but it is necessary that it is God. Growing us. So we turn our desires toward God. We curb our passions and we seek after Jesus. We find our confidence in Him because it says, be sober minded. And another way of describing this would be, be calm and collected in your spirit. It's very easy, especially if you go over to your Twitter feed and you begin to read what people are saying there. Or maybe your Facebook feed. It's very easy to no longer be calm in spirit. This world is built to get us riled up and angry. And fighting with each other. It's the objective behind the news that you are seeing and hearing. Don't do it. Be calm in Christ. The same gospel that saved you, that changed you from the world, is the same gospel that can give you a calmness in your heart to step away from the Twitter feed, to not lash out in your heart and your mind. Be calm in Jesus. There is great confidence in Jesus. And when we are turning our desires toward God, When we are finding our confidence in Jesus, then we find the power of prayer. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Immediately, what came to my mind as I read that was in chapter 3, in verse 7, where the, the husband is said to love the wife and to treat her in the right way, that your prayers be not hindered. Prayer is wrapped up and the effectiveness of our prayer is wrapped up in how we are growing in Jesus Christ. That's why James tells us the fervent prayers of a righteous man avail us much. Our prayers have power when we are turning ourselves toward Christ, making him our desire. When we are finding a calmness in our spirit, Because we're not being drawn to the world, but we are drawn to him. We have power in our prayers. So as we grow in Christ, in this world where everything seems to be pressing in on us and it's changing, what are we supposed to do? We need to individually have a right relationship with Jesus. Now, I kind of struggled with that growing up, not the way you think. Uh, coming to church, a little personal testimony here, uh, Pastor Jim would always get up, and he would, you know, always go to Ephesians chapter 4, and he was talking about the one another's, and it's in the scripture, the one another's, and I can remember having conversations with him. as like, you know, well, yeah, but is the church supposed to tell me what I should name my children? You know, what what level, what role does the church play in my everyday life? Aren't we taking this a little too far? the priesthood of the believers. I am an indiv- I was saved individually, and now you're telling me I'm not supposed to separate myself, and I can only grow the way I'm supposed to grow as I grow inside the body? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, huh, huh, I don't know. But something began to happen in my life. I began to love people. I began to pay attention to the people around me and started seeing how they were changing me because of the way that I was living. And I realized that when it says in Ephesians chapter 4, and he says, you, he's not simply talking about you individually. He's talking about you, Subarode Baptist Church. We can't simply live together individually in our american culture it's easy for us to see that and i love america and i actually don't have any problem with our individualistic culture when it comes to being american it's what's made america great but that isn't the way it works in the body because the body is not america the body is christ's kingdom And it works differently in the body. So as we're growing in that body and we have the love one for another, we begin to see there's a need. Remember that girl I was talking about? Where did she go? Did she just run off and live in the streets? No, history tells us, and even today, stories can be read and stories can be heard of girls who were in that situation Maybe even a wife who was kicked out of her home, who could potentially be stoned and killed. Where did they go? They went to the body, they went to their brothers and their sisters, they turned away from their real parents their real brother, their real sister and they turned to this ragtag group of people called the church and what did they find there? They found safety they found love they found a family a family whose father is the God of the universe yes we need to grow individually in Christ, but it can't stop there. Personal growth is necessary, but loving God's people is primary. Therefore, above all, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. It can't stop with you growing spiritually as a monk in your life off study. We have to grow together. That personal growth in Christ needs to overflow into other people's lives. Loving God's people is primary, above all. So how are we supposed to be loving? We are supposed to be loving perpetually. It tells us to keep loving. It doesn't end. You keep at it Every day. When that person is annoying you, keep loving. When that person takes from you more than you were really willing to give, keep loving perpetually, day in, day out. Love the brothers. Love the family of God. Do it constantly. This word earnestly. It's the idea of fervent. It's the idea of stretching yourself as far as you can go. I was on a trip recently and I stopped at Starbucks. And I was, I was there to buy some stuff from a guy uh, for my car. And so I had to have cash, you know. And I stuck some cash there in the little console between. And as I was leaving Starbucks, I saw this family. A man, a woman, and two children. And he was holding the sign. You know how it is. And I was coming down. I was going to turn. I was in that traffic, and it was busy, and so, but I just, you need to give him something. So as I drove up to him, I just pulled back the console. Traffic was moving. I just reach in. I grab it, and I hand it out to him, and he takes it. And I started driving, and my first thought was, oh, you know, that felt pretty good that I did that. My second thought was, you know, I didn't give that guy much money for the car parts he gave me. There was a lot of money in that console and I just handed it out the window so my next thought was oh oh did I do too much and it reminded me as I thought of this passage that's what earnestly is love to the point where you have stretched yourself so far that you begin to wonder did I do too much did I get carried away That is fervent love. That is the love that we are called to to have with one another. Patiently. We see this this phrase. It covers a multitude of sins. And I was like, what? What does that mean? Does that mean, you know, I'm like the Pope and I can give out indulgences and I've covered sin? The idea here that carries is that you don't look at the sins. You're not offended by the person. And doesn't that happen? Whenever you're starting to love people, oh, I love this person. They're so nice. And I just love them. Oh, this person, man, they're really struggling. I really want to help them. They, they need some help. Ugh. Every time I go to love this person, they've got something negative to say. They've got something they're not happy or they want more than I I just I gave it to them. I was being nice and and they wanted more. That's what it means. That means you come back to that person next week and you do it again. You don't hold that offense against that person. You love them because they are one of God's children, not because of the way they responded to your gift. That is what love does. It covers A multitude of sins. I don't see the sin. I'm going to love you. Proverbs tells us, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. You just love. You don't fight. Generously, show hospitality. Genuinely, without grumbling. So why do I say genuinely here, without grumbling? What is it saying to us in this? If we look at this word and begin to study out its meaning, it carries the idea of a secret displeasure not openly avowed. So how are we supposed to give hospitality? We're supposed to give it genuinely. We don't do it out of obligation. We want to do it. We don't sit there in our... God bless your heart. We don't put on a smile... And wreathe inside. We love from the inside. And it shows in our hospitality. Without grumbling genuinely. And how do we carry through this in the church? Love is best shown in service. I have here the church covenant. And for those of you who haven't joined us on our last members meeting. We've started giving out a copy of our church covenant to all the new members that come in as full members. And in the third paragraph, it says, We will walk together in Christian love, bear the burdens of one another, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and as occasion may require, faithfully admonish and entreat one another. We will aid one another in sickness and distress, seeking to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech, being slow to take offense, and always ready for reconciliation. That is how we are to be serving one another in our body. Our time here has a purpose in order that we can serve for Jesus Christ. So love is best shown through service. We all have a gift to use in service, each of us, the word tells us have received the gift did you know that your gift may be ha- your gift may be that you have a trial that you have a struggle you have something in your life that the body needs to come to you to help you that is a gift that is a gift that allows the body to do what god has called them to do our gifts add color to the congregation we all have different gifts. It says here later in the verse that they are very gr- grace. It's God's varied grace. We each have different gifts that we have been given. And that gift is given for the purpose of serving this church. You can't get around this. Use it to serve one another. The gift is empowered by God. We are stewards of God's very grace. And he goes on and talks about how that if you speak, speak as it's the oracles of God. If you serve, you do it by the strength that God supplies. It's not you, it's God. And there's a danger there because we can begin to own our ministries. We can begin to own our service. We can start saying, well, I'm going to serve, but I'm going to serve my way. And we we might even take this verse and say, yeah, but it says, speak as though it's the oracles of God. God has called me to this ministry, and who are you to tell me I'm not supposed to do it this way? Or, this is the way we're going to do it because God's called me to service here, and this is my calling. You've suddenly forgotten the verses above where we're supposed to be doing it with love. Because love is the greatest, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When you use your gift, it is in the power and the authority of God, but you are simply a manager. You don't own that gift. You are given that gift for others, not for yourself. So our time here is short, and our time here has a purpose. What is it? In order that is to make Jesus known that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. John four fifteen through 21, we hear that because he, as he is, so also are we in this world. We are the representatives of Jesus in this world. And in 1 John, it tells us, by this shall, I mean, in John, it also tells us, by this shall all know that you are my disciples. We are supposed to be showing Jesus in the way we live as a church body. And that takes us back to that beginning thing about the individualism. I always thought, you know, well, you know, it's my responsibility as an individual to be out witnessing. And I made it a very individual thing that this is what I have to do. And what happens is you get out on an island by yourself. It's like you're, you're advancing forward and you run ahead of all the other soldiers and all of a sudden you look around and there's no one there and all the fire is coming in at you and you're alone. That's not the way evangelism is supposed to be. Jesus told the church to go forward and make disciples. The group, we are going forward And we are all doing our individual part in the battle. No one person can win the war. And there's great comfort when you're going into battle and you can look to the right and look to the left. And there are other people, some with bazookas, some with rifles, some in tanks. And you're all advancing together. Evangelism takes on a whole different idea (laughs) When we realize we're supposed to be doing that together, not simply just individual soldiers running out, doing our own thing. The church is here to evangelize. Work as a body. Pray together. Advance together. Why? Because we are to point to his eternal glory and dominion. To him belong glory and and dominion forever and ever. What an incredible group of verses for hope in our lives. It's like Peter was taking us through this list of all these negatives and the suffering that we go, and then he's like, boom. But you're going to win in the end. We will stand and Jesus will be known and his dominion will Will be glorious. And that glory will be seen by all, and it will be forever and ever. So all you have to do is put up with this little bit. Advance his kingdom in this world, and someday you will win. The enemy will be pushed back, the suffering will come to a close. And we will be the glory of Jesus. Because we are his bride. He is pulling us together for his glory. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful hope that we have. But it begins with this. Where are you individually in your growth with Jesus? Are you caught up in this world? And when I say that, I'm not just talking about the negative things in this world. Are you so caught up in your family, your real family, your blood family, that you don't have time for God's family? Are you so caught up in getting things prepared for your retirement that you're not willing to give some time To give some money for God's people. That's what Peter's saying. That is what the word is saying. You've got to grow individually. But it lives, that individual growth lives its way out in the body of Christ. Someday you may need something. You may need something that this world cannot give you. There's something that your your own family cannot give to you. But this body is here for that purpose. Consider that girl. Consider yourself. How do you compare in your desire for Jesus? How do you compare for your desire for this family that he has created here? That's not just Jonathan talking as a pastor who wants all the members to get involved together. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse verse 7 through 11. It's God's word for us today. Father, we ask that you would take your word. You would change us in it. Father, I ask that we would understand the great opportunity we have to grow. You are our Father, and and as a Father, you hear our prayers individually. We have this wonderful opportunity to personally know the God of the universe. Help us to desire to know you more than anything of this world. But then we know that you have called us in this world to be in an outpost, an outpost called your church. And we ask that you would give us your strength, your miraculous power to love one another as we should, that we would see the importance of your body, that it isn't just a club. It isn't just a thing that we do together. We are your family. You have given us all gifts to use within that family. Lord, call us to use those gifts to the best of our abilities. That we could grow to be a force for you in this ever-darkening world. That your light would shine forth from Subaru Baptist Church. And that the world would see that something miraculous is happening here. Father, we need you to do this because we can't do it in ourselves. So we ask that your Holy Spirit would use your word to help us to see your truth. Amen.